Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. you got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and we're going to wrap up this series today. I hope it'll help you uh, fulfill maybe some of the dreams that are in your life. All, all month long, we've been focused on just helping you maybe figure out how to function a little differently, align your life a little differently to maybe fulfill some things that God has put in your heart. Romans 5 and verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, through one man's offense, speaking of Adam, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even though through one man's righteous act, it just told us that's Jesus, came the free gift to all men resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. I want to talk to you about how one thing can affect everything. How one thing can affect everything. Really, the bottom line there is that through Adam, through his act of disobedience, the ripple effect of that act affected our world. And likewise, through Jesus' obedience, there was a ripple effect that has affected our world. Meaning that everything is connected. That there is an interconnectedness in life. We all know that it could be a death. It could be a tragedy. It could be a divorce. A bad report. Those things just being the proverbial rock that's dropped in your pond can affect everything. It could be a good relationship, a positive relationship. The old timers used to say just one word from God can change everything. Just an open door, an opportunity. Again, just that rock dropped in the pond can affect everything. We know that if the rock is dropped in the pond, that it should only impact that general area, that small area where it hit. But the ripple effect, the concentric circles that work their way out from where the impact was, affect the stability of the whole pond. And so it is, the Bible says, with Adam, he was dropped in to this world and the ripple effect has had its way into all of our lives And equally, actually the Bible says greater than that effect, Jesus' life was dropped into the planet and the ripple effects have actually even been greater or will have the potential to be greater than even the things that Adam did wrong. One thing can affect everything. When you think about Scripture and what it teaches us concerning our lives and how we're to make sure that we have the right ripple effect, if you will, a positive ripple effect, a godly ripple effect, we would know that there are things that God gives us to manage. 
The Bible actually says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a guy, the master comes and he gives something to you. Then he leaves. The master eventually returns. When he returns, he takes inventory of how you did with what he gave you. And he asks the question, how did you do? How did you manage what I gave you? If managed well, then he gives more. Whether it's the vineyard or the talents, if you manage what you've been given well, then the principle in scripture is you can be trusted with greater things. And how could God trust you to manage more if you haven't been trustworthy with what you've been given? And it's an idea of management. This is not salvation. This is not how do you get to heaven. This is how do you manage your days here on the planet? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your thoughts? How do you manage your relationships? And if they're managed well, then the result is positive. The ripple effect is positive. But if you mismanage those things, then the ripple effect can be negative in your life. I think one of the things that stops people the most from fulfilling their potential is not mismanaging what they have, but is trying to manage the things that are unmanageable. There are certain things that are just unmanageable. You can't manage them. Notice Jesus did not try to go back and manage what Adam had done wrong. He just could manage what he could do right. He couldn't go back and change what had been done. He could bring change through what he would do with his life. If you were in the animal kingdom, if you know anything about the animal kingdom, you would know, for example, that you can't domesticate a white shark. You can act like you love the white shark. You can feed the white shark. You can pet the white shark's fins as it swims by you. But that white shark is never going to love you. You can't domesticate that shark. You, you, can't, you can't really manage the fact that you might care for it, but it's never going to care for you. If you've ever watched when animals attack, someone raises a tiger, raises a bear, raises a gorilla, and they, those animals in their mind love them. And then all of a sudden, one day, they open up the door to the cage. And all of a sudden, they're mauled to death. And they're just so surprised because they tried to domesticate something that can't be domesticated. Now, the Bible says we can take dominion over things. But there are certain things that you just can't domesticate or you can't manage. And a lot of people do that in life. They're trying to manage something that cannot be managed. They're trying to domesticate something that cannot be domesticated. It's not that they're not managing what they have well. It's that they're investing so much time and energy. They're wasting so much on the things that they cannot manage. So I wrote down seven quick things that cannot be managed. And then we'll get back to our thought in just a second. Seven things that cannot be managed. Number one, you cannot manage chaos, disorder, things that are random, no rhyme, no reason, unpredictable, up and down, things that are out of alignment. If you have a car that's out of alignment, it doesn't matter how hard you try to steer it right, it's going to always pull towards danger. It's going to always pull the direction you don't want it to go in. And it's because you cannot manage things that have no rhyme. They're out of alignment. Number two, you cannot manage crazy. Just look straight ahead. Right ahead. Notice I'm going to look at my notes a lot during this point. 
I'm not speaking about the clinical sense of crazy, but what the Bible would call foolish, nonsensical, irrational, erratic, unsound, impulsive. You cannot rationalize with someone that has no rationale. Crazy loves drama. And as much as you, as long as you feed the drama, crazy is going to keep coming and knocking at your door. You have to learn to starve drama. Take the keys away from drama. Create some boundaries in the area of drama. Love them. Pray for them. Glad you liked it. Love them. Pray for them. Limit them to only necessary access and exposure to your life. But if you think you can manage crazy, can I just go ahead and help you? It's never going to work unless you just keep feeding the drama in their life. You can't cast out crazy. You can't pray out crazy. You can't sit down and say, hey, you know, you're being kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden accept crazy. The Bible actually says if you tell someone that they're crazy and they're crazy, they'll hate you for telling them that they're crazy. Why? Because they're crazy. (laughs) Can't manage crazy. You cannot manage confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but peace. Confusion is a mental state. It's not clear. Confusion is not a clear or orderly stream of thought. Confusion causes inaction. Confusion is contagious. There are people that their whole life is oriented towards confusion. They don't know how to function if there is clarity. They have to have confusion. Confusion is actually what makes them feel alive because they're oriented towards confusion. They resist structure. They resist instruction. They hate correction. They despise direction. They're always going around procedures, always pushing through protocol, always trying to get around the people, the way of doing things, the flow of things, the order of things. They cannot stand those things. And if you go to them and you say, hey, this is the way that we do things. Not that it's the only way, but we've just found if you do things like this, it will really help you. We found that this is a really These are best practices. This right here is a really... They're going to not understand what you're saying because they don't want to understand what you're saying. They They don't care to understand what you are saying. They just go round and round and round, circular in their reasoning. It's kind of like when you were eight and you went to the playground and you got on the merry-go-round, right? You just got on it and you spun around and around and around. It might be fun when you're eight, but when you get to be 38, it's merry-go make me sick. Come on, it's merry's going to make me go puke. It's not fun. And when you get around that confusion you'll find that no matter what you say, it's misunderstood. If you say something, they hear something else. If you go back and say, well, that's not what I said. What I meant to say or what I was hoping to say or what I was desiring for you to hear was this. And now you add things to it to undergird what it is that you're trying to say. You're trying to build a little bit more of a foundation 
You're trying to limit any misinterpretation, right? You're trying to add things to it, maybe even give some examples or some illustrations to be really, really clear that that's what you're trying to say. And now they misunderstand that as well. They conveniently forget details. They have convenient memory lapses. They add things. They exaggerate points that you made. They change the order of what you said to say something completely different. And as a result, they're mad at people they should not be mad at. They're angry at things they should not be angry at because you cannot manage confusion. Number four, you cannot manage contention. James 3.16 says, where there's strife, there's every other kind of evil work. You cannot manage strife. 2 Timothy 2.23 actually says, ignore conversations or disputes that cause strife. You're to ignore them. You're to starve them out. Isn't that interesting? We just get on Facebook and we don't like something. We just jump all in. We engage 100% trying to think that maybe we can talk someone out of a position of strife. But you cannot manage it. The Bible actually says you're not even to have a meal with someone that causes division. Now, if you think about how harsh that is, how many of y'all know we don't talk about that scripture very much? Which, by the way, as far as I know, the church has never been more at peace than what it is right now. I'm just speaking to you and to me. You know, it's, it's the other people out there that struggle with this stuff, not the people in here. You know, it's, it's that, that other group somewhere. We don't know who that is, but, but, but you're not. And I, I, whenever I hear something like that, I've learned over the years to, to take what feels like it's maybe got spiritual overtones or maybe is a little extreme and give God some credit that he's pretty practical in how it plays out in our lives. Whenever someone causes division, what they are looking for or strife, they're looking for affirmation. They need affirmation. Affirmation is the fuel to their fire. It's the thing that tells them that they're okay. It's the thing that, so they'll, they'll look for public demonstrations of affirmation. And a meal, a public meal, is a great form of affirmation. So the Bible says you've got to be cautious to not publicly affirm. And it has nothing to do, I mean, it has a lot to do with a lot of things, but really it's for their good. The Bible's not trying to isolate them, excommunicate them. The Bible's trying to lead them back to a place of of being affirmed in the things that are godly and holy and peaceful, not living a life affirming them or trying to manage that way of thinking. If someone is filled with strife, they'll always be at odds with peacemakers. If you try to create peace, they won't listen to you. They don't want peace. Contention says, I want my way, and if I don't get my way, you'll pay for it. Strife will never cooperate with you. Strife does not care to work things out. We think everyone wants to work things out, but some people simply do not want to work things out. A lot of times you can track someone that's contentious because they don't have any long-term relationships. Because it's exhausting to be around a 41-year-old that throws a temper tantrum if they don't get their way. And so people get weary over time. They get weary of being thrown under the bus because they didn't listen to you or do exactly what you wanted them to do. 
And also you can notice a contentious person because they'll blame you for things in their life when you weren't even in the general hemisphere of their life when that thing happened. You cannot manage contention any more than you can kiss a tiger. Number five, you cannot manage cheats. You cannot manage a cheater. They possess no basic ethics. They swindle others through deceptive means. They're nice to you, but their goal is to take from you. A cheat lies so well, they believe their own stories. They have an uncanny ability to believe their own deception. If you point out truth to someone that's a cheat, their feelings get hurt. They actually think you're being mean to them because they have no regard for facts or truth. They just stick to an agenda that includes taking from you, includes robbing you. And the only kind of math they know is subtraction and division. Never even considered addition, never even considered multiplication. All they want to do is leave you less than how they found you. And you cannot manage a cheat. You cannot manage dishonesty. Number six, you cannot manage a critic. You cannot manage critics. I did not say you can't manage criticism. Criticism is a gift. If someone gives you the gift of criticism, you should, you should embrace it and consider that probably one of the highest forms of relationship and love. The Bible says that a friend, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. I know that our relationship has gone beneath the surface when you can trust me with criticism. Criticism stretches me. Criticism challenges me. Criticism acknowledges I have blind spots. I don't have full knowledge even of my own self. I do things constantly, probably even in this message, that maybe were not intended. And criticism will help me knock the rough edges off. It will help me be better. Criticism is a gift. But a critic is different. A critic does not love you. A critic is not into you being better. They're harsh and unfair in their judgment. Usually a critic is competing with you. They're envious of you. They're jealous of you. They don't like the favor on your life or the blessing on your life. And if you have the blessing of God on their life and they don't like you for some reason and someone else likes you, they don't like them for liking you. They're unfulfilled in their life. Therefore, they are a critic. Those who are fulfilled in their life are busy. If you're fulfilled, you're focused. If you're fulfilled, you don't have time to worry about someone else's business. You cannot manage a critic. If you think that you can ever march to the beat of their drum, if you think that you can ever give them enough for them to stop being your critic, you will find out you cannot manage it. Usually it's because their expectations of their own wisdom or their evaluation of their own talent and skill is usually unrealistic and exaggerated. Thus, giving them permission, giving themselves permission to elevate themselves to a position of your critic. They've chosen to not understand. 
They've chosen to not get beyond one or two points. They're unsophisticated in their thinking. Your life is chess. Their life is checkers. And they simply only have one goal. And it's to bring you down. They've never done what you do. But they're experts at what you do. They don't share in the consequences of the advice they're trying to give you. They don't share in the consequence of the decisions you're trying to make. But yet they're your critic because you don't do exactly what they think you should do. You cannot manage that. You can receive criticism, but you cannot manage a critic. Number seven, you cannot manage a curse. A curse is a negative spiritual force. The goal of a curse is to keep you in bondage. The goal of a curse is that you live your life with no peace and no joy. The person that's under a curse is so hard on themselves and hard on others, they cannot enjoy life. They have a nice home, they have a car that starts, they have a healthy body, they have a full belly, but yet they're mad at the world. They spend all their time complaining about what they don't have instead of celebrating what they do have. And a curse will rob you. A curse will cause you to never be thankful, never be grateful. You'll always sabotage your own success. It is a destructive spirit and you cannot manage a curse. It's spiritual and spiritual things have to be handled with spiritual means. That's why the Bible says that the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit breaks or destroys every yoke of bondage. You can't destroy a curse on your own. You need the power of God to destroy every negative spiritual force in your life. Now think about it. Romans 5 says to us, imagine, imagine how one action of Adam, the ripple effect, imagine it. Imagine Jesus, how his life of obedience, imagine the ripple effects. Imagine how Jesus, in what he did, never tried to go back and change what Adam had already done. It was done. The ripple effect had begun. He just said, I've got to drop my life. I've got to drop my decisions. I've got to drop my choices into whatever is going on in the world and believe that that ripple effect can actually overcome the negative ripple effects of others. I can't manage that. I can just manage me. You see, a common thread through everything that we mentioned, which, by the way, all of those things are in every one of us. A common thread in all of those things is disorder. What the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to get our world to be out of order. Because God moves where there is order. If you look at Acts chapter 1 and 2, the Bible says they... they they were in one accord. And then it says they continued in one accord. They were continually in one accord. Over and over it's referencing this idea of order. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room. And the New Testament church is born. God was watching and looking for order. 
looking for them to manage that which they had been given and not try to manage things that were out of their control. They couldn't manage all that was going on in Jerusalem. They couldn't manage the the fact that the, the Romans were leading and ruling that territory. They couldn't manage the religious elite that were threatened by them and had just killed Jesus. They couldn't manage the threats, but they could manage. They were in that upper room and they were trying to create harmony and trusting as they did that that ripple effect would overtake all the negative, evil, horrific things that people outside of their world were trying to do. You and I have to constantly be asking ourselves, what are we doing to make sure there's order? What are we doing to make sure there's order in our life? Order in our, I didn't say perfection, order. The idea that I'm going to try to manage that which I have. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that we are to do all things, make sure all things are done decently and in order. Jesus didn't try to manage Adam's choice. He just took dominion over that choice by managing his own choices. And the Bible says Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But Satan is equally trying to work to do what? Still kill and destroy. It's the same verse that Jesus is trying to do one thing. Satan is trying to do the other thing. Satan had his way in Adam's life. The ripple effect is it hurt the world. God had his way in the life of Jesus. The ripple effect is it impacted the world for good. And now here we are standing in this place saying, okay, I might be a Christian. I might be saved. I might have said yes to Jesus. I might know where I'm going for eternity, eternity, but how am I managing my life? How am I managing my decisions? Has disorder found its way in? Has confusion found its way in? Has contention found its way in? Has, has, has chaos found its way in? Have I let the critics find their way in? And as a result, I'm spending all my energy managing that instead of managing what it is that God has given me. So think about this with me. And I'm closing. I'm closing. And I feel really good about it. (laughs) Not even an hour. I'm getting y'all ready for the Bengals game. I want you to come back next week. See, I know what I'm doing. I guess we have a bye week next week, don't we? So you can have no excuse. (laughs) Y'all reading right through me, huh? You know, I can't wait to see the game. (laughs) Anyway. I came across a story this week that, man, just to me illustrates what I'm saying so well. This story is set in the 1800s. And a prestigious member of the British Parliament was on a trip to give a significant speech. He decided to take a back road, a country road, and got stuck in a mud puddle. Well, a nearby farm sent their son over with their horses to help this carriage get unstuck. And when the young boy was helping this prestigious member of the British Parliament get unstuck, they struck up a relationship. And after a few minutes of everything getting, you know, out of the mud puddle and this member on his way to give this important speech, he tried to pay the young boy for his time and for helping him. And the young boy refused the payment. 
The man insisted, you know, I could tell, you know, he, you know, he could tell that this was an impoverished area. He could tell that this young man could really, this young man's family could really use some help. But the young boy refused. He said, I refuse. It just was an honor for me to be able to help someone in your position. Just that I could even say that I met you, that I've been able to help you. That is all the payment I'll need. And this man was so impressed by the qualities that this young man seemed to possess. He asked him what his dreams were. What are your goals in life? What do you want to do when you get older? And the young boy said, well, I guess I've always wanted to be a doctor. He said, but unfortunately, my family doesn't have the resources for that to happen. So the chances of me ever going to middle school or medical school are slim to none. And the man said back to the young boy, if you really want to go to medical school, if that's really in your heart, if that's really your dream, I'm going to keep in contact with you and I will make sure that you can go to medical school. The man kept his promise. That young man went to medical school and graduated and 50 years went by. 50 years went by and another event happened where an individual was needed at a wartime conference. He was vital to give a speech at this wartime conference. His, His wisdom was needed because Hitler was trying to invade and destroy his country, England. The threat was very real. And unfortunately, this individual got sick with pneumonia and it looked grave. He miraculously recovered because an individual, a doctor, went in and gave him a shot, a shot of a new wonder drug called penicillin. And penicillin just happened to be discovered by a brilliant doctor who just happened to be the boy that pulled that carriage out of the mud. His name was Alexander Fleming. Alexander Fleming was the man that pulled that individual out of the mud puddle. Winston Churchill was the man that received the shot and recovered and obviously went on. Not only did he go on to give a speech, but went on to be instrumental in really saving the world as we know it, being a huge influence against the Nazi forces. And it just happens to be that Winston Churchill's father, Sir Randolph Churchill, was the man that kept his promise to see Alexander Fleming through medical school. What I want you to see is this. The young boy couldn't manage that he was born into an impoverished situation. He couldn't manage the things that were, but what he could do is he could manage the situations that he was given. He could serve the situation that he was given because one thing affects everything. Sir Randolph Churchill couldn't manage the idea that someday his son would be sick, couldn't manage that someday someone would be trying to destroy the world, couldn't manage that, but he could manage to keep his word because one thing affects everything. We can't spend our time trying to manage what can't be managed. But what we can do is say, okay, I've been given this life. I've been giving my, given my time, my talents, my resources, my interactions, my conversations. I've been given the place that I am, the contact that I have, the interactions I have. And how am I doing managing that? Because that's the ripple effect. 
that I have some control over. That's the ripple effect that God someday is going to come back and say, hey, how did you do with what I gave you? Not how did you do with what someone else did? Not how did you, how'd you try to manage something outside of your control? How did you manage that which I gave you? The Bible says, think about it. Always think about it like this. Through one action, Adam, the ripple effect. Think about it. Think about it. Through one act of obedience, Jesus' ripple effect. Think about it. Think about it. Now we got to think about our lives. we got to think about our ripple effect. we got to think about how far it reaches, how far it goes into the future, and what a difference it can really make. You know what we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to underestimate the things that we do every single day that make a profound difference in the world. Come on. A profound difference. Why don't you stand up to your feet? I'm going to pray for you.